What is cracking, everybody? Welcome to the Cat and Cloud podcast. This week, woo, got a fun one for you. I sit down with my friend Jeff Newton. Jeff is an LA-based commercial photographer whose client list ranges from companies like Forbes and Entrepreneur Magazine to photographing people like Big Sean for Puma and Champs Sports. Jeff and I connected over YouTube a couple of years ago, and since I've met Jeff, I don't talk to him much but he's been such a positive force in my life, even if it's just in this little tiny way. He's got a really warm energy. He has a genuine love for life. He loves his craft. He loves his family. And he just kind of glows. He lights up rooms that he goes into. And I think you can feel that coming through the microphone in the interview. This one is going to be pure gold for you creative types. We talk about the importance of challenging yourself creatively, starting over and being a big fish in a small pond. Actually, scratch that. We talked about being a small fish in a big pond and the idea of finding your niche and also maybe how you could live on $2.50 a day in Los Angeles. Jeff is also the founder of Americano Mondays, a side project that was born out of his love for coffee that ended up being a turning point for his photography business. If you want to know more about Jeff, Americano Mondays, or get on the list for the Americano Mondays book, check the links in the show notes to see all about Jeff. If you want to get more than that, you got to listen to the episode, man. Let's get into it with Jeff Newton. The Cat and Cloud Coffee Podcast is sponsored by Steeped Coffee. Steeped Coffee is a new brewing method that combines specialty craft coffee into a single serving bag. You don't need a machine. You don't have to make a mess. All you have to do is add hot water wherever you go. Each steep pack is individually sealed. It's nitrogen flush, so it stays fresh. And it's got this special full immersion filter. And the filter is ultrasonic sealed, which means it's sealed together with no glue or no staples. So there's no weird stuff floating around in your coffee. Steeped is a benefit B Corp. They ethically source all their coffee. Their packaging is fully compostable. And they believe that business should be done without compromise. You can get your hands on steeped coffee packs at steepedcoffee.com that's s-t-e-e-p-e-d coffee.com asking your local retail stores to start carrying steeped or having your favorite roastery reach out and kind of get in touch if you're in santa cruz come on by any of the cat and cloud locations we have it there for you basically they're just doing their best to change the coffee industry make your life more convenient with their pre-portioned pre-ground innovation so tell all your friends we've never actually talked before. i know at this length this is so a few minutes here and there man. i know so I'm, it's cool man i'm freaking hyped let's um, do this Dude, so like a little bit of background from who you are, where you came from, what you do for work. I know you're a freelance photographer. Yes. I don't even know what that, what, the, what does that mean? <laughs> How does one end up becoming that? So, yeah, so I'm a freelance photographer. I'm a commercial and editorial photographer. I shoot for different um, brands and magazines. Um, but, yeah, to go back, I guess, the way I started was I took a, uh, I used to do, think I was going to be a musician back in the freaking day, like in the 90s, and even did a couple like, you know, little small EPs in Arizona when I was with some, with some band, but I was always taking pictures and always doing my thing, and people were like, oh, you're good, but I kind of just, it just went over my head, because I was so focused on one one thing, and then uh, I took a, I graduated high school in 1996, took a darkroom class, and that was it, dude, I was freaking done, man, so done. fell in love with it, I was like, oh my God, this, you know, pre-digital, digital wasn't even an option, uh, fell in love with the darkroom, Fell in love with printing, with you know processing film, doing everything, and um, just just like went all in on what, it. What was it about the darkroom that was so exciting? I think it was the act of the creation of like going out, and this is something when I've I've guest lectured and I've talked to talked to people, I've, I've had interns and stuff like that. It's like 
before before digital, you'd, you'd put in so much emotional and actual time into the process of creating those images because you didn't know, like you'd go out and you're still learning and you didn't understand like, okay, did I expose that right? Did I expose it wrong? Did I do this? But So you're out for a couple hours trying to expose 24 or 36 frames if you're shooting film. I mean, if you're shooting uh, 35. And then you'd have to go in and manually, like manually process it, manually hang it. And it was that whole aspect of waiting. Did I? Did I? And I loved it because it was kind of that like, oh man, like if you didn't, you'd already put so much time into it. It wasn't like snap, check, good, bad, whatever. And then you go in into the dark room and then you see that image come alive. Like you could literally, like you put the water in the developer. I mean, I'm sorry, you put the print in the developer in the water and you see the image start to just kind of come, come alive. And there was something about that. It was just like freaking done, man. So, and I was always visual, but again, I was always like, looked, I always kind of looked past it when anybody said, oh, you're a good photographer, because I was, I didn't know, but it wasn't until, like, I really started to, like, really tangibly be able to feel it, see it, and watch it come to life that I just, I, I loved it. I had a really interesting story where I kind of failed out of photography class in high school. <laughs> same experience as you, because yeah. we were in high school pretty close to the same time, so yeah. no digital cameras. Yep. I had a Canon AE-1s, you know, 35 millimeter, and you're out there, you got your light meter, and yep. you're, you're measuring exposure, and you're setting your ISO, and you have no idea, you have no feedback, but we would have assignments for photography, Yeah, and I would never do any of the assignments, and I would spend my whole time just shooting skateboarding, nice. so I would spend all my time shooting skateboarding, and then I was like, oh shit, I have to actually do the assignment, so I'd shoot a bunch of stuff really fast, and I needed to turn it in really quick, so I'd go in the dark room, and I would overexpose everything in the enlarger and then I would throw it in the developer and it would start to develop really really quickly and then I'd pull it out and throw it in the stop bath <laughs> and then yes, I just man. like move from there you were totally like doing the process that we would do actually like you were un you were uh, underexposed and overexposed you were doing all different kind of like because when I shot for clients when I shot film we would never expose properly or develop properly we would always like purposefully okay if it's 160 I'm going to shoot it at 100 and, and go plus a third or do this or do that but you were doing it just like screw it man let's freaking go I was like I gotta burn through these things <laughs> super fast and my, my teacher was like ah, you, you, what what is that? You're not really doing the... And I'm like, That's I don't know. I, I just want to skateboard. So what was the first time you got paid for something like that? Do you remember? Yeah. I um, Actually, there was a magazine in Arizona. I'm originally from Arizona called Java Magazine. It's still around. It's like a little kind of newspaper kind of style magazine. And I think I was 18 years old and... I was still shooting, it was black and white, because the cover was in color, but everything else was black and white on the inside. And I think I was 18 or 19 years old, and I shot a gothic band. Um, and I didn't know I didn't know much about gothic music at that point, because I used to be into really into hip-hop and other stuff like that, so gothic was like, ooh, these guys, have you know, like, what's it going to be like? They ended up being the nicest freaking dudes around. We ended up, like, creating some really cool photos. And... Um, I probably made $25. I probably lost money on it when you ex when you go into like, okay, if I had to process and the time and everything. Um, and it was awesome. I loved it. It was like this cool little thing. And then after that, I started, um, um, I, I apprenticed for three years under a photographer. So 97 to 2000, I worked under a photographer in Arizona, um, doing everything from literally sweeping floors, processing film. Back in the day with um, medium and large format, you would have camera film back, so you'd have to load the backs and hand it to the photographer really quick. So we had a whole system down. I'd be doing that, cataloging how we're shooting it, doing uh, development sheets, you know, writing all the notes down and everything, and uh, clean up everything. And he, that was a really good experience because it taught me a lot of things about who to become and who to never become. Um, he was an amazing person in the sense of a good teacher, but as a human being, not a good man, <laughs> which was really sad. Um, and I found that out the further I, I went with him. Um, so it was a really good experience because it definitely let me know, like, 
don't be a habitual liar. Don't be somebody who is not trustworthy. Don't be somebody who is this person that just isn't empathetic and isn't kind. And But also, he was an amazing technician because he was an ex-sniper instructor turned photographer. So that's, that's so the kind of mindset. his eye is like on point. Oh, I would shoot with the Hasselblad camera at one five hundredth of a second, tack sharp, and he'd be like, that's not sharp enough. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, oh my God. So whatever, I, uh, that's a whole different story. But basically, I went um, with him and then I started getting um, jobs at some small little local Arizona magazines. In and then I went freelance. He moved away um, late 1999. I went freelance January 2000, and um, basically never looked back and started working from then on. I still, but then I still had some other jobs here and side jobs here and there. But that's when I went as hardcore as possible. Did you realize in the moment when that stuff was happening around you that? oh, maybe this isn't the kind of person I should become, like this person who's kind of my mentor, or did that set in later? It set in around two years into it when he finally opened up to me. I realized why he was so... Because he, I've had interns, and I've, I'm still very good friends with some of my interns. Um, Caleb, one of my inter- my my old interns, is now an amazing photographer. I'm very happy, and we still keep in touch. That's the thing. Like we still keep in touch. He can reach out to me and ask me about a bid. He can reach out, you know, whatever. Like, and he hasn't worked with me for years now, um, but he's become an amazing photographer. And um, a couple other people that worked with me have now gone off and do- done their stuff too. With him, the minute I stopped working with him. He never spoke with me again. I've never talked to him again. I even reached out to him, but I became competition to him, mm. which was so sad. And I found out probably around two years in why he really, it was perfect timing. I needed a mentor and he needed a, he needed to feel good about himself because he had done something earlier in his life with his family base, left his family, left everything. And I think I became that replacement of like, fatherhood in Uh, a sense for him you were like the proxy for his family (laughs) exactly and it was very sad but i didn't know that until around two years in when i he kind of opened up to me a little bit um but yeah i started realizing i was also young so it took me a while to realize i was 18 just out of high school um but i definitely started to realize i don't like who you are in a lot of ways um but i also didn't know I, i was also learning so much so i didn't know what to do and thankfully when he left i went off and did my thing and uh, it was a very good experience, and it's definitely something, like I said, I, it was really, it broke down to who to become a great technician, a great photographer, somebody who really cares, somebody who knows the whole process, and who to never become everything else about that man. Right. <laughs> so it was very sad because I don't, I, but it also taught me I would never be like that when I had interns or when I had people that, I was, that was going to be working with me, that I would never treat anybody like that. Yeah, it's interesting to see the parallels because when we started our business, we never had experience owning a business. We don't know how to own a business. But you see what you don't like. Yes. And you have that empathy of this is what it feels like to be a young person entering the workforce. And a lot of them aren't treated super amazingly. And they work really hard and have relatively low wages. And it's just the perfect storm of it can feel really shitty. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Oh, yeah. Most of the time, when I say apprentice, I was there Monday through Friday most of the time. I only got paid every once in a while, like on shoots or other stuff. I was not getting paid most of the time. So I was like barely surviving. But I also knew this is what I need. I need somebody. And I, I was working freaking hardcore. And, you know, it was, a, it was definitely a job. But, it was a, it, but I also learned it's sad because I never went the, um, 
the route of university or degrees or masters or you know anything like my wife. My wife's about to get her PhD this year. I mean, she's a she's been in college since we met wow. fifteen years ago. <laughs> so she's a perma student basically. You know, I, I joke with her. You don't want to leave. You you love it there. It's like it's your safety zone. That's a big run right there. That's a big run. Yes, and then she'll go be a professor hopefully. But for me, it was a great experience to basically. It felt like my master's program in photography because I was living it day to day in every aspect of it. Um, and it was, I mean, he would do cold calls with me, make me do fake cold calls with clients. How would I respond? How would I act? You know, what would I say? This is before laptops too. We'd be taking notes on yellow notepads. So. Oh, it's so cool. It was an intense experience and it was great though. And I really, I, those are some of the elements I translated when I had a full-time studio manager and when I had interns, we would go through, okay, if a client does this, how, how should we respond? Because I wanted to start to give my old studio manager, Janet, a lot of, you know, her own um, agency in a sense to be like, you can make these decisions sometimes if you need to. So when it comes to having interns that you have, is it more of um, uh, like a functional thing or is there a part of it that's a mentorship? Both, definitely. So for, um, mention Caleb again, uh, Caleb Alvarado, an amazing photographer. Caleb came to us. He was an architect who just loved photography. He did an architectural photography stuff. I don't do architectural photography at all. Not my thing. It's cool. Just not my thing. But he wanted to get into portraiture and everything. And he reached out to me. And it was more of a, I needed an assistant sometimes, somebody to just do stuff around, around the studio. But then it definitely became a very much of a mentorship thing and uh, became a, you know, bringing him on set all the time and doing stuff. And it, so it served both functions. Like there definitely was a time where we had, we had another intern, Daria, and she would help out Janet, my studio manager, with building email lists and building, you know, creative calls and doing other stuff, putting together decks, putting together stuff like that. And then her and Caleb would help build sets together sometimes. And we'd all, you know, so it's a little bit of both, but I hope that they would have, anybody who would work with me would have the the, you know, feel the openness to ask me any freaking question available so they would know 100% that, like, I'm here to share the knowledge that I've gained because I'm still learning every day, and I have no... I have no desire to stop learning anything about photography or anything about this craft that is my life, and I'll share what I need to share to help people out with that. There's a lot of people out there that have creative dreams or do things that are outside the quote-unquote... Uh, what, what normal job market? Yeah. I don't know. Was there was there one period of time or one thing that happened that made that flip switch in your mind? That's like, you know what? I'm I'm not going to go to school. I'm not going to go work for other people. I'm going to strike out on my own, and I believe for whatever reason that I can make this work. So I think two things. I think one would be that almost every man in my family is self-employed. My father owned a small painting company. Um, and when I, you know, owned a painting company, my mom did the bookkeeping, my dad, and I did the, you know, all the prep work. I did everything that I needed to be done, uh, minus the painting when I was younger. And I think I made five bucks a day or something. I don't Heck freaking yeah. remember. You know, <laughs> like back in like the late 80s and whatever. Um, so I grew up seeing that. I mean, we were never financially stable. You know, we were hurting all the time. But like I saw growing up somebody who was independent. And I think my uncles and other people were all the same. So I think I grew up in that mentality of like, you can do your own thing. I also started really young with um, doing music, and I was, you know, in studios writing and doing stuff. So I, I was kind of always kind of doing my own thing in a sense in that world too. Um, and then I had, you know, I had like a job at a golf golf cart, whatever place where I had to like drive the tractor and get hit with golf balls, all oh, kind nice. of stuff. Yeah, was, the driving you know, range. You know what, man? <laughs> you know, Fiddlesticks Family Fun Park. Yay! Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it was w bad. What a name. Uh, I know, seriously. And um, 
And then after, right after college, I had a girlfriend. Um, no, I'm sorry, not, not right after college. Right after high school, I had a girlfriend whose mom worked at some bank. I think it would now be Chase. I don't know what it was. And um, she got me a job as a bank teller. So this would be 1996, late 1996, when bank tellers weren't young how they are now. Like, I'm 40, so I go into banks. I'm older than most of the tellers now. Back then, they were all probably my age, 40 to 50 to 60 years old. And here I was, this like 18-year-old kid straight out of freaking high school, stuck in this little like two-by-two, three-by-three square foot place, you know, like on a thing. And it was, I think it was probably, now that I look at it, it was probably a great experience because it taught me I will never freaking do this and I will never survive in this environment because I need the freedom. And I was working with, because I had the band that I was with that we'd put out a couple EPs, we'd split up at that point. I was, I still was like trying to hold on to that glory of music and so I was managing a couple small bands and we had this big kind of like spring break tour to go on for a week long. They wouldn't let me off and I was just like, all right, screw it, I'm out then. I'm going to go on the tour. So uh, I guess I'm not working here anymore. So I lasted nine months and that was longer than I could ever. And I think it was a really good thing because it showed me like, don't ever go back that route again. You know, don't ever do that. Like, put everything you can into what you want. But then also managing bands also taught me, no, I need to manage my own career, not somebody else's, because I had too many meetings where it just seemed like I was trusting my future to other people's ambitions or lack thereof. Right, right. You're you're tied to these people. Yes. It's like you have a boss anyway. Pretty it's, much. It's like working for someone else. And I, just, I remember we, were, we used to meet at a place called, oh, man, Coffee... I can't remember the name of it. It was like this big place in Arizona. It was a big deal back then. And um, we met one day, and they just put out a record. And we were having a weekly meeting, and the, and the lead singer said, all right, we probably only have like one more record left in us, so let's just really whatever. And I was just like, wait, you're already thinking about the end? You're done, huh? You're already done, and they just, um, okay, let's, I'm, yeah. It, that was a wake-up call for me to be like, it's time for me to think about, if I'm going to manage somebody, it should be my career. Right, and that's an interesting point, and I'm going to double back when I say, oh, you're working for someone else. I don't think it's necessarily bad to work for someone else, but there needs to be some sort of sense of security in that position if you're willing to stake your whole life on it, where you're like, I'm all in, and they're like, we're quitting in a year. It's exactly it. Ooh, okay, yeah, that changes things a lot. Well, I think on the flip side, there was another band that I managed who was, and again, these were all just local Arizona bands where I was from. One of them was, a, they had like hits on the radio. They were, they were doing their thing. That was the band that was like already thinking about the freaking end, which blew my mind. There was another band that could have been a long-term thing, but they were actually, they had too good of a future for me as a small little like dude who's trying to be a photographer and this and that and everything. And I finally was just like, you guys need a better manager. <laughs> like, so I quit one band and I basically told the other band, go get somebody better than me, please. You know, I'm going to hold you back because I want to go do photography. So it was kind of a mix of like realizing, realizing my place in that, in that kind of environment. And then full on photography from there on pretty much. Full, I mean, I still had, you know, I waited tables at uh, the Olive Garden. Of freaking, course. Of course, Denny's, uh, Denny's and uh, Italian food. And, um, but um, coffee became a huge part of my life around that time, too. So, Well, coffee had always been a huge part of my life, but it, that's when I got my first coffee job as well. And was this in Arizona still? In Arizona. Yeah, we've only been in L.A. since 2010. Okay. So we've only been here for just eight and a half years. Um, I used to hang out, probably starting around 17 years old. Well, I used to hang out at coffee shops because, of course, I thought I was going to be Jack Kerouac when I was 15, you know, right. like every freaking dude did back then. And um, so I'd write at coffee shops and I'd write poetry that probably really sucked hardcore, but I thought it was good at the time. And it was like the ultimate beatnik dream, like totally, just yes, totally. That's that was the life that I wanted to live. Yes, hundred <laughs> percent. And I read every you know every beatnik book you could find. Um, and uh, 
But then there was a coffee shop in Arizona called The Gold Bar. They stayed open 24 hours, uh, 24 hours on the weekends. This is probably like 1.5 wave <laughs> coffee, you know, okay. not even second wave, not even like second or third wave. Like this is way, you know, this is late 90s. And um, I would wait tables at the Olive Garden and uh, we'd close on a Friday, Saturday night. And then um, we'd close at nine or 10, I don't remember. And then I would show up at the Olive, at Gold Bar at around 11 and I'd write all night long until six or seven the next morning. And I started doing that and that kind of became my like, second home in a sense and that's where i really fell in love with the culture surrounding coffee because there was a piano player they had a big piano and there was an old bank so there's a bank vault that you can go sit into and everything and and um it got to the point where i was there so much that they stopped charging me so i would just tip them really good every time you know because this is pre-debit cards this is all cash and um i would just give them like a five dollar or ten dollar tip and they whatever and and we all just became good friends and one day they finally were like because they always just everybody smoked at that point i didn't smoke back then but they all the baristas everybody smoked and they would all when i'd show up at 11 or 12 at night to They'd all be outside smoking. They didn't want to go in to make my drinks. They finally were like, we just need to teach you to make your drink. Make it yourself. Make it yourself. Oh, no way. So they taught me to make my own drink so they didn't have to get up from their smoke break. That is such a fucking cool story. So that's how I learned how to make coffee is they didn't want to get up to make my drink. They just thought, you go make your drink. And so I started making my own drinks. What were you drinking at the time? Oh, mochas and like probably horrible drinks. Probably horrible. You know, probably like not horrible, but like nothing. I knew nothing about specialty coffee. I just loved the culture that it's kind of like I said, I loved the culture of dreamers and just independent minded people and just everybody that was there just to freaking be present. We didn't have iPhones. We didn't have laptops. Back in the day when I, when I would edit film at coffee shops i had a portable light box that i would bring and i'd bring strips of film and i would cut them down and i would you know have a grease pen and make my selects and then i'd have a yellow notepad and like that's what we did and then friends would show up at one or two and bring me a mixtape i'll i'll never forget i had a friend of mine this is random but i had a friend of mine bring me a mix uh, a cd once showed up out of the blue and was like here dude you need to listen to this record. It's going to change your life. I'm like okay and then he left and it was sunday day real estate and i remember i le- listened to it at first and i didn't dig it but then i f- in this, it fell under my seat, and I found it like a month or two later, and then I loved it. For some reason, I just wasn't in the right mindset at that point, I guess. I don't know. So I loved that aspect of it. I loved everything surrounding the board of coffee. I didn't know anything about coffee. I just loved the people that were present at that moment in coffee. So for me, that was, that was my intro to coffee, was the gold bar. And then, um, and then as I, I left Olive Garden, and I was just doing photography full-time, but barely making any money. I mean, like, like, you know, no money at all. Because back then I was shooting medium format film, so I'd, and I didn't process medium format because it was color or it was a chrome film. And uh, so I had to pay for processing. I think, I think I got paid $75 a shot for magazines, but around 35 of that was processing and snip test and all these other things. So you made like, and then you had to wait forever. So I was hanging out the gold bar one day, um, a few years after I'd been hanging out there for years. And they knew that I was like, you know, hurting because I was there all the time. Like, oh my god, and and making my own drinks because they were like, screw it, just make your drinks from now on. And I would, oh, and I even got to the point before they, I got hired there, that if it got busy, I would just go back there and help them make drinks, even though I didn't work there. You at were all. like on standby. I was on standby. So if I was there and they had a line and there was only one barista, I just go back there and just start helping drinks, you know, help them make drinks or help them do whatever they needed. And uh, one day they literally, there was a barista that was there. It was like, dude, do you want to like pick up a few shifts here or something, you know, just to do it? And um, and again, this is pre-debit card, I think, because there was only a cash drawer. And um, and they said, uh, hey, do you want to pick up a few shifts? I'm like, yeah, cool. And they turned on the owner. Hey, can Jeff work here? Yeah, cool. All right, you're hired, dude. Done. That was it. 
That's never filled out paperwork, never did anything because of all cash at that point, never filled out paperwork, never filled out anything, and basically did that off and on for like the next year and a half or two years. And then even long after I had stopped picking up, sh- having shifts there, I would just go back and help them make drinks because I just loved it. Even though I did again, I still don't think I un- understood the depth of like how much I love the culture of coffee. It was just more like this. I think I did, but it was my, it was the beginning, intimate, you know, I'm uh, not intimate. Uh, um, I can't think of the word. The, the young baby stages of me learning the world of coffee. Right. Well, so, I got to ask, what was the espresso situation like? How did it work? So it was, so they had, was they it had an actual a, like machine? No, and oh yeah. Like no, they had a, they had a Lama Zorka. There was a oh, three, really? head, there was a three head machine. And then we had a, um, an old machine. I don't remember what that one was called, but, um, like some kind of lever. Yeah. Thing? It was a lever machine. So that was our backup. If we got busy. So we had a three head machine. Uh, oh yeah. We had some Mazars. We had like, it was a okay, they oh, had it, proper gear. It was proper gear, but, but, the, <laughs> but then on the drip, they had one that was called truck stop. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? And then we had the Tarani syrups and we had all that stuff. And it was more one of those, would you like a wet cap or a dry cap? You know, would you like a cafe, uh, cafe breve with like freaking just half and half and, you know, and all that stuff. So there was a lot of syrups and a lot of chocolate syrups and a lot, there was never really anybody getting, uh, there was no pour over they, that didn't right. exist. I hadn't, I didn't know anything, but the sad thing is it's like, we didn't know to dry our baskets. We didn't know, you know, we didn't know any of that stuff. I mean, for perspective, everything that you've just described was actually pretty advanced if we're thinking like late nineties or early 2000s. So that was it, early 2000s, it, yeah. it just wasn't really like how it is now. Yeah. There wasn't that knowledge out there. It, yeah. Because that seems like my first job, too, which was around 2001. Yeah. We, we had a proper machine, proper grinders. We were pulling yep. espresso, but yeah, we didn't clean anything. We didn't really adjust exactly. the grind. No. I remember they were like, don't touch the grind, and I was like, okay, but I'd notice the shots would run like really fast or really slow. So I was just intuitively figuring yep. out like, okay, I'm not allowed to touch the grind. So I guess I got to put in more or less coffee and adjust the flow rate and just see, just see what happens. And the, the I was sad- drinking the same drinks. Like mocha was my jam. Oh, that was my jam it back in the day. It was so good. Um, that latte, some caramel latte, I think. I can't remember what it was, but mocha was my jam back in the day. And then, um, Italian soda, yeah, Italian soda oh, yeah. drinks. Italian soda <laughs> Remember those? So cool. <laughs> yeah, that was that was it back then. That so. was like the bougie thing. Oh, that like, totally. Oh, I'm what? super fancy. Have yeah. an Italian soda, some <laughs> syrup, and some fizzy water. Yes, yes, man. please. But so that was a fun experience. But it was also it's crazy because yeah, I don't know if we knew anything about dosing properly. We didn't weigh anything. We didn't do any. Like I don't think we did any of that at all. And I I remember like. Yeah, I just remember, I remember going back there a while back, like a few years back, and it's still there. Surprisingly, it still exists. It still has its audience that like doesn't need high-end specialty coffee. They're not doing latte art. They're not doing anything special with it, but it serves a purpose. Do they still so, run 24 hours a day on the no, weekend? No, no. They stopped that a long, long time ago, unfortunately. Um, and um, But it definitely was like, I felt so bad because back in the day, I thought that was the best coffee ever. I thought we had the best coffee in the world, of course, because I didn't really know much more. There was, uh, it wasn't until like around 2004, maybe around 2004, when um, Arizona got its first specialty coffee shop. Like there was a guy who came in and did latte art. We were always like, whoa, he opened a coffee shop called Lux Coffee. And like he had, you know, whatever. So that was like our first, uh, you know, kind of introduction to that. And I had just moved back from California. I'd moved here once before, oh. but I only lasted six months. Um, L.A. L.A. Again, yeah. In South Pasadena, or in uh, Old Town Pasadena. Okay. Uh, a friend of mine that I knew known from the Gold Bar, he was a 3D animator, illustrator, director dude, um, lived out there. And I had just, I'd wanted to leave Arizona for a long, long, long time. And um, Where were you? Were you in Phoenix? Or? So, uh, yes, I was in Phoenix. Okay. I lived in Phoenix. Um, and um, 
yeah, I remember once he'd called me, and this must have been 2003, maybe 2000, yeah, 2003, he called me, and I was just so sick of Arizona, just so sick. I needed to, like, move to L.A. to be the next big photographer. And uh, But then again, you got to realize, no Instagram, no Twitter, no Facebook, no laptop, no anything. You know, I was um, still rocking a yellow notepad, maybe. No, I don't think I had a laptop or anything like that at that point. And because uh, I was doing negatives, I didn't need I didn't need a laptop to process anything like that. And uh, I had a crappy computer with a huge scanner that probably scans so crappy. But um, yeah, he called me up one day and was like, "Hey, I've got a room out here for whatever six hundred bucks a month." Um, I was like, "Screw it, I'm out there." And I was gone like three weeks later. Didn't have any money saved up. Didn't have anything. And basically came out to L.A. to try to be the next big thing. And um, it was. Yeah, it sucked, but it was awesome at the same time. You know, it's one of those, like, I don't regret doing it at all, but I also made the wrong decision to do it at that point and not be prepared and not make a, make a, a decision that was a very well-planned decision or thought-through decision. Um, but, yeah, I literally had a, uh, a $2.50 day budget for everything. So $1.50 for coffee was my priority, not yep. cent for food. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yes. And... Um, and then I would go to Borders or Barnes and Nobles or whatever it was at that time, and I would o- grab a stack of magazines, open up to the front page, say "Art Director," write down the name in a notepad, phone number, usually just a subscription number, and then try to find find them somehow. And so that was my like trying to basically do everything that we can do now via social media or other stuff, or buying lists or anything like that. And um, it was tough. I was broke out of my mind. And then his girlfriend at the time, now wife, got pregnant. And he's like four months after I moved there, he was like, oh, we're leaving. You can have the apartment. Um, but uh, I couldn't afford it. And so I tried to stay another month. But then because I was so malnourished, um, my gum started bleeding. No way. And yeah. Oh, no. I I'm mean, not, 99 cents of food a day is not th- a lot. No, it's not. <laughs> and I was doing just rice or just um, like basically just like one sandwich per day or whatever. And, um, Holy crap. and I actually gave myself a gum disease called periodontal gum disease. It went away after like two cleanings or two, like, right. you know, whatever. So I, it's never come back then, but yeah, my, I was so malnourished that my gum started bleeding all the time. Um, and the doctor was like, are you under any, we, I came back to Arizona to go to a dentist and they're like, are you under any stress or anything? I'm like, oh yeah, dude, I'm broken. I'm under only stress. <laughs> only under stress. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, after like two sessions, it never happened again. And then I moved back to Arizona, but thankfully I did. Cause then a couple months later I met my wife and then, uh, and then we met and then met at an art gallery and then, uh, we, and the first thing, <laughs> it's so sad. First thing I ever said to my wife was, I think you're beautiful. I want to take you out to coffee. And thankfully, her sister was there, like, because we ended up talking for a few minutes. Because if it was just my wife, she was in line for the restroom, was having a crazy night already. It would have been just like, screw you, dude, get away from me. You're like, who's this fucking weird creeper guy? Like, Pretty much. <laughs> but thankfully, I left for a few moments, and her sister was like, hey, he kind of seems like a nice guy, maybe, and like, whatever. So thankfully, her sister was there also. I did not have a wife and two kids right now. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what if, if you were going to do that whole thing over? again or if someone else is in your shoes thinking about making the big leap to go follow their dream move to another town what's one piece of advice you'd give to someone who's going to set off on that journey like what did you learn from that i would just be i would be very i would make sure that it's necessary because you can do especially now with social media you can have a very nice um, presence and create beautiful work Wherever you are, of course, it helps when you're in a major city. If like if you're trying to do have access to the best hair and makeup or the best stylish or the best subjects, but I definitely think that you should take your time and not make that move until you are not only artistically but mentally prepared. To I knew when I came, I guess perfect example. I knew when I came to Los Angeles that I would be starting over, 
And that wasn't fun, but I also was ready for it. In Arizona, I was directing commercials for like, you know, Fox Sports, uh, for all these like uh, health insurance companies and massage companies and shooting for all these different magazines. And I had a full-time employee, had a studio, like I was doing really well, making very good money. And I came out here as like, calling up people and like, who freaking cares? You're just some dude with a camera, you know, like whatever. And so be mentally prepared to have to start over in a sense. And the another learn from my mistake, I got a studio pretty quick when I moved out here. I didn't need that. I came out here with the big production mentality. When you leave and you start over, start with a startup mentality. Don't Do not move somewhere and try to think that you're going to like, just take over immediately. Like, use it as a rebuilding process. Use it as a process to really go inward and use that use that time as you're like freaking like feeling out of it and feeling out of place and everything. When I first moved here, I didn't really dig LA for the first year or so because I was also going back to Arizona a lot because I still had clients there. But it was a re- growing experience. So definitely dig, make the move, but only when you're mentally and artistically ready to suffer for a bit. But also realize you need to freaking suffer every once in a while for your art. So, so you go back, you meet your wife. That that's amazing too. I, actually, I'm not even going to go ahead. I just want I just want to <laughs> I just want to dwell on that for a second. Where you said you need to suffer for your art sometimes, and I I think that's totally true. If I look back at the times when I've made the most progress, there was always a certain amount of pain involved. Yes, and. You know, I don't think you you're telling everybody that they need to go so far that their gums are bleeding and no, they develop no, some I, kind of disease. Yeah. But it's in anything that you do where you're trying to push a little outside of what you feel comfortable with. It's it's gonna be weird. It's gonna suck for a little bit. And the thing that I've noticed with myself is the the older I get and the better I get at the certain things that I do, the harder that is to do. Yes, because my level of competency in certain things is already pretty decent to where, okay, I can produce, you know, decent quality work in whatever I'm applying myself to. And I don't really have to have my nose to the grindstone super hard. Yep. I can call it in if I want to. And most people aren't going to notice the difference, but that compounded over one year, two years, three years, four years, five years, all of a sudden you're way behind what your potential is. hundred percent. And I think that's what is really scary, especially for Somebody who's been doing something for so long, you start to get comfortable. And I think Arizona for me was my comfort. And I needed to be move out of my comfort zone. And I needed to screw myself over in a sense and began 100% over. And it was so interesting, too, because some of my um, – even though I was in Arizona, a smaller market, I still shot for, like, Golf Magazine, Men's Journal, Men's Fitness, like some big national magazines – um, but what you have to realize is you're their local stringer at that point. Just because I moved to L.A. did not mean that they freaking cared a thing that I moved to L.A. I w- they already had their L.A. guy. So I had to start all over. I went from being their number one guy in a small market to their freaking hundredth dude and whatever, you know, in a big market. Golf, you know, one of the, one of the magazines, Golf, would hire me for other stuff. But all, all that to say is that I knew that that was going to happen, and I was still okay with that because it sucked, but I needed that challenge. And I think that was also... Americana Mondays was was born because of that. Ameri- uh, my side project was born because of that, because I moved here and nobody freaking cared. I was still going back to Arizona and making a living, going back and directing commercials and doing stuff and doing big projects. And then I'd have small projects here, but I had, I had come f- and I still brought that like comfortable mind state. Just because I moved here to start over doesn't mean that like all of a sudden I became this brand new like freaking hustle. I'm gonna like um you know oh the world's changed. It's like no, I still had that mentality. 
And I, and because of that, I think I didn't push myself enough out here at first, even though I felt like I was. And I realized that like one day I remember I sit in my office and I was like, I felt like I was starting to get lazy, even though I was working. And I was like, okay, what's going on? And that's when I realized I wasn't challenging myself creatively. I wasn't challenging myself enough. And um, I wanted a side project. I wanted a small project that was just mine. Because um, I just come off of like, I did this major project where I directed a bunch of commercials and I had like a 50 person crew and it took up a few months of my life and it was great. I made good money, but all of a sudden you're like, you more feel like you're hurting cats at that point. You're not really being creative at that point. Um, I, it, it was so hardcore. Like I even got sick through it and lost my voice. I was directing from a two-way radio. They had to hide two-way radios in the scene because I couldn't talk loud enough. And so I was like, yeah, I was... Um, would direct from a two-way radio and so they can hear it in the scene because they couldn't hear me, even though I was only like 10 feet away from them. That is amazing. And because we like just didn't sleep for, you know, forever because we just worked nonstop. And then I did a, uh, I did a talk, a lecture, I think a couple days after I finished that. And one of the students in the, in the photography class was a nurse and she's like, and I couldn't stand up straight. I, my, I was so drained. And she's like, you need to go to the doctor. I think you have walking pneumonia. And I was like, what? And she's like, I'm a nurse, and you're all the signs you you can't stand up straight as you're talking to us right now. You have to sit down, and you need to, and you and you can barely talk. You need to go. So I went the next day, like, oh yeah, you you yeah, you screwed yourself for up for sure. You did yeah. it again. You did it. Again. You did it again. <laughs> so for me, when I came back out here again, I'd come back out here. I'd go to Arizona. I'd drive back to Arizona and like work on big productions. I come out here where I live now, and just be like trying as much as I can. And that was. Um, it was really tough for me, and so I, I thought I decided I needed to take on a personal project that was just mine, um, and I gave myself. But it was cool too because I also gave myself a lot of restriction constrictions when I did it. I ha it had to be something that I wanted to do. Had to be I could only use one camera and one prime lens, or or maybe two prime lenses, and it can only fit in a backpack, and I can't use any assistance gear, makeup, hair, anything. And so that's when I started to like finally find my drive again out here. So talk about Americana Mondays and where, because it's, it's the name of the book, yes. but it's also, you know, you have your Instagram feed and the press. It almost feels like it's a cultural movement and maybe not <laughs> ne yeah. just necessarily a book. That'd be, that'd be great. Um, no, so at first, again, like it truly 100% started out of my need to create because I was out here and nobody was hiring me. And, and some people were hiring me and I was working on some projects, but it was like, but I, again, I had, you know, and I still, it's crazy. I still feel like I'm still breaking into the, you know, my career because Americana Mondays has definitely changed the direction of my career a hundredfold. Um, so it became something I just needed to go shoot. Some friends of mine in, in Arizona owned coffee shops. So I just called them up and was like, Hey, next time I'm out, can I shoot at your shop? And it was, um, you know, back then I was still blogging on WordPress. So, you know, like a commercial blog, whatever. And it was, it was interesting. Um, I think I had a uh, a little coffee set up in my studio, and I I think I said I did um a little blog post, and I didn't have a lot of followers or anything like that, and it was so strange. I was sitting in a coffee shop here in California, I think it was Intelli, I think it was Intelligentsia Silver Lake, and um, I hit upload on it on my first little like, and it wasn't AmericanaMondays.com yet. It was just like. Oh, and also the reason why it's called Freaking Americana Mondays, which I, I I like the name now, but sometimes I'm like, oh, I wish I would call it something else, but too late. Um, I wasn't making enough money so I could only afford to buy an Americano at that time because it didn't have anything. It was the cheapest drink at a coffee shop. Yeah, because no milk. No milk, no anything. <laughs> so that's all I could afford was Americanos. And um, and at that point, it was still just going to be on my photography blog. It I, still, I hadn't come to the conclusion that it was going to have its own life in a sense. 
Um, so I thought, oh, cool. Every Monday pre-Instagram too. Maybe Instagram, I think was around, but I don't know if I was on it yet. I don't remember. And, um, yeah, it was around, but I might've been on it. I don't remember. And, um, I thought, oh, cool. Maybe once a week, I'll just post some, a, a photo of me working at a coffee shop or something like that, or a photo at a coffee shop or something. I'll do it every Monday. So it gives me a date. Okay. And I drink American, Amer- Americanos. All right. Americano Monday is done. And it was just going to be a little section on my, on my blog. And that's, that was it. Cause I could only afford Americanos. <laughs> so that's why. And, um, I posted the first little post on the Jeff Newton, old Jeff Newton blog that I haven't, I don't use anymore. haven't used in years. And it was crazy. Um, within five minutes, it um, it got reposted on like a bunch of websites all of a sudden. And this this old website, this artist website that I used to be on called Alt Pick, picked it up and they posted it and shared something. And all of a sudden, it, like I called my wife literally five minutes after I, oh no, like twenty minutes after I posted it because I was watching it get reposted and all these things. And I was like, I think I'm onto something. This is crazy. I've never had this happen before. With anything. And it was just like some small little shots of like some coffee friends or whatever. And, uh, but sadly I didn't listen to, I didn't like listen to that in a smart way. I didn't, I acted on it, but I didn't. Um, it took me a while to realize what it was because I was still stuck in a very like one track minded kind of mindset. Um, I should have transitioned, not immediately, but I should have been more cognitive that, oh, wow, this does have an audience. I was, but I was also like, but I want to be the next big celebrity photographer. Right. I'm not in LA to have a coffee blog. I'm in LA to be shooting for Vanity Fair and for, you know, whatever, all these, you know, Rolling Stone and all these other magazines. That's, that's why I'm here. I'm not here just for a coffee blog. And it was a very interesting, long journey for me to change my mindset. Way too freaking long, let's put it that way. How long until you decided, okay, I'm going to take this project and make it a part like a part of my life to the point where I'm going to make a book about this. This is going to be a thing. So the book I started talking about like a year or so later probably because I was starting to shoot some friends for it. And, I started, and that's when I started reaching out to coffee shops out here and just a few. And, um, and then I started, it was more kind of like, honestly, at first it was because as a photographer, you always dream to have a book. And, um, but I also realized what this is. I, this is not a fine art book. This is a fun coffee table like just a fun book to have. Um, it's something I'm passionate about. I've put six years of my life into it so far, but I know what it is. I know the audience it serves. It's not going to be in some freaking gallery. I'm okay with that. Maybe I'll do that when I'm 60. I don't freaking know. Who cares? Um, so it took me a while and it took me far too long. So definitely it's something that I've had to, you know, I kind of use the analogy of Apple. They were very smart. The iPhone, you know, like back in the day, when I first bought my first MacBook or whatever it was called at that point, you could go into an Apple store and you can negotiate with them pricing because like nobody ever bought anything from them much. Like I remember I went and bought my first um, laptop from them and negotiated the price with them because back then it was like empty. Now it's a Disneyland in there basically. You could, they would laugh at you if you tried to do that. They saw the potential with the iPhone and the iPad and basically transitioned everything away from, you know, all these things, I should have done that. That should have been my iPhone. The Americana money should have been my iPhone. Everything should have went into that. All my personal R&D should have went into that. Um, sorry, I'm rambling now. But um, I don't think so. I think it's actually really relevant. And I think one thing that a lot of people struggle with is knowing when they're on track, when they're not on track, and, and when to pivot, when yes. something might be staring you right in the face, but yes. you're so focused on just this... This one, this, there's this one thing that you're that you're trying to do, and I, I we all have our own blinders on. Yeah, I've definitely had mine, and yeah. I, it's almost like you need a little 
like a little manager, like a little, I mean, for me, it's probably my wife who's no. like, hey, check this out. You should do, what are you doing? <laughs> so sadly, yes. Listen to your wives, 100 freaking percent. So thankfully, I have an amazing wife. She's very supportive. Um, I mean, she has known me as a photographer ever since we've been together, and I'm very supportive of her career in academia, and she's supportive of me as a photographer. And so thankfully, we are very, we, you know, are both very driven people, but we support each other. Um, thankfully, she saw, um, she saw the potential in it as well and was like, cool. And so I think at, soon after, I, I did buy the domain. I did, you know, buy the, you know, I bought AmericanaMondays.com. I thought, okay, cool. Maybe it'll have its own little thing. And, you know, it's still just like a little WordPress blog, like pretty crappy, just a straight blog, like nothing, not trying to make it into its own kind of like online presence. And um, I think might have been around maybe 2014 or so is when I started getting people um, reaching out to me and saying, hey, we want you to shoot something for us. We love that. You know, we love um, such and such that you did with that, your, your coffee project. I was like, whoa, that's interesting. And I'll never forget, um, Ticketmaster or Live Nation or whatever emailed me once uh, to do a, shoot a library for them. And their first email, their first sign- sentence in the email was, hi, we, hi, blah, 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 blah. We love Americana Mondays. You know, explanation mark. Can you shoot something like that for us? But instead of coffee, use a, a phone or whatever like that. So they want it. And I was like, whoa, okay. So people are starting to see it see okay we want that style and then i went and then like right after that um actually um a film about coffee came out brandon uh, brandon's film so i reached out to brandon because they were gonna have a screening right down here at the vista theater um and they were gonna be in la so i reached out to um to avocados and coconuts the production company was like hey i love i would love to feature him on my website when you guys are down uh, if you have any time and we ended up meeting at uh, uh, Deus Ex Machina. Uh, right. And so we ended up meeting. They got the them. little coffee bar yeah, in there and everything. Yeah, the little coffee bar. They used to serve handsome back in the day. And so, like, it was a, you know, I went there. I never really hung out there too much, but it was like a really beautiful place. Ended up shooting, featuring them too, um, like years ago. And um, so I ended up take, calling them up, hey, can we meet up here and take, you know, portrait of the, photo- of the director? And Brennan and I hit it off. He was a cool dude. We hit it off. We're both around the same age. I think we both had just had our first daughters at this point. Or no, we were both, I think his daughter was just born. My daughter, my wife was pregnant with our daughter. So we kind of hit it off as like new fathers and um, went to the uh, screening that night. Kind of kept in touch a little bit because I had the feature come out on him. And then he ended up getting commissioned to direct um, some commercials for Wells Fargo uh, with BBDO, a big ad agency in uh, San Francisco. I mean, they're all over. They're worldwide. but um, And they needed a print component to it and he was like hey i know this photographer and they uh i mean it doesn't matter that like the director like if i wasn't good enough they wouldn't have done anything but it was very interesting when they reached out to me um i don't remember how it was if it was an email if they pulled images or whatever but eight of the ten images of mine that they referenced we want you to shoot this as were americana mondays and i was like whoa okay this is crazy i'm about to, you know i'm up for a wells fargo project and they want it just like Americana Mondays. And so that's when I kind of realized, like, I need to transition. Yeah, I think the takeaway for everybody out there who's listening, who's trying to break into a market, is you are able to carve out your own niche. Yes. Which is so valuable because you were saying, like, okay, I want to shoot big stars. I want to shoot oh, for yeah. Vanity Fair. I want to shoot for Esquire or whatever. And it's like, 
How many other people want to do that too? Everybody. 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 Every freaking person here in LA. So that, that's why people are here. You know, yep. you're one of thousands of people all laser focused on the same goal. And yes. how, do you, how do you stand out in that crowd? And I don't know anything about photography, but I'm thinking maybe you don't, unless there's, there's something really, really interesting about you. But you take a step back, you're like, what else is something that I'm super passionate about? Okay, I'm in this thing. And then they see, they don't see coffee, they're seeing your style emerge. Exactly. So they're like, okay, like, you can shoot this style, and whether you're shooting a cup of coffee or people at a cafe or a cell phone or a bank commercial, it doesn't make a difference. Yep. We just want some of that. Yeah, the project for Wells Fargo, I think, was called Small is Huge, and it was all about small businesses. And so it basically was like, it looked like an Americana Mondays print campaign, just with like this woman in D.C. or a, yeah, in D.C. who owned a, a personal like workout studio. And then we went and shot these uh, these people in Atlanta who had a community farm. So I went and shot on their, their like garden farm and everything and shot it exactly the same style as Americana Mondays. It had nothing to do with coffee, but it was like they were able to see that. And that's when I started to realize, like, wow, okay, I really need to transition. But still, I'm not going to freaking lie, man. That, that voice in the back of my head is like, but you came out to L.A. to be the next big, you know, photographers I, I really admire, like the next Richard Avedon, the Andy Leibovitz, Mark Seliger, like all these, all these big dudes, um, the biggest of the big in the world. I mean, their, their level of photography, their level of career doesn't even exist anymore, minus maybe three to four people at a time in the world. And, um, and it was very interesting because I was, it's, <laughs> it's very sad. I was having coffee uh, at this little place called Broom Street uh, down the street. I rode my bike there, met up with a friend, Kevin Scanlon. He's a commercial and editorial photographer as well, splits his time between here in L.A. And um, we were having a great conversation. And I remember he was kind of like yelling at me at, during, the, during it in a sense, in a good way. I needed it. And that's the thing is like whenever I – this is something that maybe is a good takeaway as well. Back when I was in photography school – or like not, not uh, community college. That's all, I only ever studied at a community college. I never went to a university um, I would go up to the professor the first day or the teacher or whatever the first day and be like, I'm Jeff, nice to meet you, blah, blah, blah. Freaking be hardcore with me. Never be easy with me. Like, yell at me. Tell me that I suck. Tell it, if my images suck, tell it freaking sucks. If it's good, let me know. And thankfully, we were in a class where there was also some people who had been doing it longer. We, and we used to do critiques. And I love critiques because it would just break you freaking down all the way. But then I'd walk out and be like, next week I'm going to show them. I'm going to shoot something better. And so I would always be really, really intense and really hardcore with like trying to make sure that no matter what, I'd, I'm not a passive person, I guess the best way to say it. And I don't want my building up of any of my craft or my character to be we, you know, and I don't want somebody to be, be soft with me in a sense, right. like just be, be, you're here to sure. learn and you can take the feedback. Yes. I'm trying to say the nicest way how to say it. And Kevin was very, he was exactly what I needed to hear. And he basically was like, why don't you have a book with this yet? He's like, why aren't you freaking like, why isn't this? And I kind of, I kind of had that like, well, Hey, you know, I really want to, you know, cause he's shooting for a lot of, he shoots celebrities all the time. Like Tom Cruise, you know, DiCaprio, like he shoots the biggest of the biggest in the world. And we both came from Phoenix together. And, um, and I was just kind of like, ah, I don't know. And, and it was so interesting. He's like, well, are you doing that? He's like, are you shooting, are you shooting you know, the big A-list stars? I'm like, no. Well, you're making money off of this. Why aren't you freaking doing this? And it was one of those kind of like, he's like, this is what you need to focus on. He's like, I don't mean to be rude, but that's not happening for you. This is happening for you. Why are you not putting everything into this? And I'll never forget, this ties back to our wives, so I'll never forget I came back home. We used to have two couches. Um, now it's a different setup now. My wife is chilling over there. I think we had our daughter at that point. And uh, yeah, we did. And I came home and I was like, I just had this amazing conversation with Kevin. And he really like kicked my butt and like telling me, why don't you have a book yet? And 
all this stuff and why Americana Mondays? And she's like, I've been saying that for like two years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and she's like, um, yeah. I'm like, ah, oh, crap, you're right. And it was, it, she had no empathy for me, rightfully so. Right. She had no sympathy, no nothing. And it was, but it was so interesting. In a sense, sometimes you need to hear it from a contemporary. I needed to hear it from somebody in my field that I respect. And he was very good. He was like, well, that's not freaking happening for you, dude. This is, why are you not? And at that point, it was kind of one of those, I'd already been like, it had already had a, you know, it's a life of its own. It's already had its own Instagram account. It's on Twitter. It's on domain. Like, it wasn't like I was taking it seriously, but it was, I think there was a mental pivot. It was like, okay, wait a minute. This is where I need to head in a sense. And it is okay that I moved to LA and a, originally a small little WordPress freaking blog about coffee culture is what it is. And I think, and thankfully, I will be 100% honest to say, I don't think I'd have a career if I, if I did not start Americana Mondays now. Because so much of the work that I've gotten over the last, since 2015 on, I would say 65, 60 to 70, 60% minimum of my work comes from people who say, hey, we really love what you do with your coffee thing, or your, that coffee stuff, whatever. You know, like they don't know what it is. And minimum 60%. And even though the 99% of that has nothing to do with coffee, it's that vibe, it's that style that they're looking for, and it's that, and if I wouldn't have, it's also opened up so many doors in a lot of other ways, just community, and I, I, that's a whole other aspect, but yes, I 100% can say that I don't know where I would be if I did not start Americana Mondays. There's a little bit of, aside from carving out that niche, there's that that brand recognition to it. Now, you're not just Jeff Newton, photographer, yeah. you're... Oh, you're the Americana Mondays guy. 100%. Like, what's your name, Jeff? Uh, yeah. Americana Mondays. Oh, okay, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. I know you. I've I seen your stuff. And for reference, if anybody hasn't checked out your work, you photograph some big-name people. You know, you got, like, the big Sean Puma campaign yep. looking fresh. Like, th these are not small people. Did those things funnel in through that Americana Mondays vibe? Some of that has, yes. It's cool. The um, Well, here's the cool thing about that. So... Uh, yeah, thankfully in the last year or so, I kind of connected with a production company and I've been shooting some um, Adidas Originals campaigns and Puma campaigns, shot Big Sean for Puma, Tory Lanez for Adidas, um, and a couple ba big basketball players too. And um, what has happened, which, is, which has been very interesting is thankfully when I finally kind of relinquished that weight of, I didn't move to California to do this, I moved to do this. When I relinquished that for myself, Americana Mondays, the style of it, very naturalistic, not as because back in the day, and even still, sometimes still, like last year I shot a couple campaigns where we had, like the Big Sean, full LA studio, massive production, massive lights, massive everything, you know, like, assist, I think I had five assistants for that shoot, you know, digital tech, huge monitor shoot, you know, like it's a production. So I still do that every once in a while, but, um, but all of a sudden it's like, cutting back on the amount of lights or the amount of gear, or the amount of stuff that I need. And, and doing, anytime you see anything in my photos where there's like a light flare or a color or this, it's all in camera. I do everything in like in camera. I'm holding gels in front of the lens or we have glass or we have mirrors, we have, you know, lights or whatever. And, and that's something I started experimenting with, with Americana Mondays, not with my commercial work at all. My commercial work was very clean, was very like glossy in a sense. And all of a sudden that style started seeping a little bit more to my commercial work. And, so it's so interesting because so much of my commercial work now looks more like Americana Mondays than it did back in the day. And so a lot of that stuff, when they even reference, if I'm shooting even like a shoot campaign, they'll reference Americana Mondays images now. Not all the time, of course. Like they might say, oh, we like your whatever stuff you did for Nike or stuff you did for so-and-so. Um, but it definitely is way more, 
that style, that vibe has become more cohesive. That's not, there's not a difference. I'm not, I am a commercial photographer and I have Americana Mondays, but my styles have like merged almost, you know, ve- they're very fluid now. Yeah, I think looking at your photos and how you're, you're saying, you know, you're holding gels or using mirrors to get natural light flares. There's a certain, for me anyway, I don't know if this is your intent, but there's a certain warmth that comes with that style that reminds me of being in a coffee shop. And that's the yeah. vibe of the, the, my favorite coffee shops go in. They feel warm. They feel cozy. Yes. They almost feel like, they feel like you're on the couch with the blanket on. Yeah, and you yeah. get that feeling <laughs> when you're in the cafe. And yes, that's man. super cool. Nice. I appreciate that. No, that's definitely... I, it's a vibe that I want to have in my images, and I think that it's... Uh, I also think that, yeah, there's a lot of just really trying to... Trying to be open, in a sense, to, like I said, to allowing myself as a photographer be influenced by my personal work and my commercial work, not separating them out. And because I'm the same with you, the coffee shops. I, I, came, I grew up in coffee shops where I'd spend hours upon hours, like six, seven, eight hours at a coffee shop, you know, writing, whatever. And it was that warmth. That, even if it's not a visual warmth, it's an emotional warmth. It's right. an intellectual warmth. And I do love that as well because that's where I, you know, I came up in that. And I still love going. Like there was a coffee shop. It's kind of converted now um, called Home. And now it's more like a bar, restaurant, like a, you know, whatever. I don't really go there anymore. But they opened up just a couple blocks down the street, and uh, they used counterculture. And it was nice. It wasn't, a, wasn't like my favorite. I didn't hang out all the time. But I loved it because they had some old school couches in there. I'm like, whoa, this is like an old school coffee That's shop. That's a oh 90s God. vibe right That's there. That's totally the 90s vibe. It just, for some reason, it just brought back nostalgia every time I'd go there. So I'd go there sometimes because of that. So it was very interesting. Like, I like all the newer coffee shops, but sometimes it's a little too clean. It's a little too minimalistic. And I, right. I need that kind of, like, almost dirty kind of, like, you know, give me a couch that I kind of fall into when I sit into yeah, it. Yeah, you kind sink of in a little bit. You know it. It feels good. I <laughs> you know, know that feeling. Oh, I, I love that feeling, especially yes. when the weather's cold. You yes. probably don't get that much here. But, oh, man, if it was raining outside, yes, little definitely. 90s coffee shop in, like, a big-ass hot chocolate. Bring Boom. it, dude. I don't care. Everybody can judge me. It's fine. I'm not no, I'm, worried. I'm with you, man. I'm with you. That's that's my vibe too, man. So so what stage is the book in now? Like where are you at with this thing? So right now I have two iterations of it and I am so I'll be honest, last year I did um the prototypes of it and I did a lot of work with it. Uh but life was crazy last year. We had our second uh child in uh 2017 and last year for us was like getting to know life with two children. And the adjustment from one child to two child is a big one. And so it was a lot of, also it was, you know, an up and down year uh, creatively, I mean, commercially for me too. I had some really big projects and I had some downtimes. And so I would use those downtimes to work in the book. But again, the the problem with side projects, and Americana Mondays is far beyond a side project now. It is as equally, takes up as equal amount of time, if not more time than my commercial work sometimes now, because that's where I want to position it. Um, but it does suck because the minute, even though it is what's getting me work, the minute that I get the work, it's the first thing that has to get put to the side because I make no money off Americana Mondays. I've never made money. It only costs me money. Uh, worth It's worth it 100%, but I've never like made money directly off of it. Um, indirectly, of course, through getting hired by agencies or brands because of that look. It's like a sales funnel, if you will, pretty in much, some sense. Pretty much. Um, so yeah, I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm a little uh, in a hundred... I, I hate to say not going to lie. Just freaking be honest. I'm <laughs> Sorry. Um, I've been lying the whole time. I've been time. lying the whole time. <laughs> the whole time whole until I said this. Yeah, my name is Tom, and I'm a whatever. Um, no, I should have gotten a lot more done with this last year. Uh, but life happened, and it was a up and down year, and it was definitely one of those. 
I didn't get to put everything into it last year. And I'm disappointed in myself because I should have. Um, and I had some periods where I did work on it and I did do stuff, but I also think I creatively kind of got a little overwhelmed. I overthought it in a lot of ways because I want it to be this big thing because it's like, it's this book. It's just something I've been shooting for for six years now, but I started questioning too many things. I started going back to that kind of period where I was when I first started with this. And so thankfully I've had some clarity on it now. And I've also just been like, dude, shut up and freaking do this, man. Kind of clarity, you know, that kind of clarity. It's not really clarity. It's just like, I'm done, move on. And so thankfully I'm in that mindset now. For me, the beginning of the new year was definitely a period for me to kind of say, okay, like I'm about to be 41 in, in a week or so, and I'm really trying to plan for, you know, the next almost decade in a sense, you know, my 40s or whatever, and for my children, for my family, for everything. And this year for me has been a very, everything that I'm doing right now is very intentional, and I'm really cutting back on a lot of things right now. I feel like, I, kind of like I said when you first walked in, I feel like I've, I haven't been as present online because I've kind of just had my head down just kind of focusing and working and being as mentally focused as possible, which sucks because you also feel like you have to pop your head up every once in a while. I exist. I'm still here. I, I, I promise I'm doing things. It's just everything's in the background right now because I want it to then be big, but if I'm always present, I can never be present where it's most important right now. And so for me, 2019 is about kicking my butt and getting out of my own way and making some really big strides with this to get this published this year 100%. I am in the process of, I've spoken to some brands about sponsorship. That's a route that I'm open to go. Um, I was very anti going to Kickstarter about it first because I just kind of felt like also, I'm a little concerned if you're a publishing company and you've already pre-sold, let's say, whatever, a couple hundred copies, that's a loss to them. They're not going to get those sales. And so I was like, I want to get published through a publishing company if I do the Kickstarter. But then I've had so many people be like, no, that's the way to go. So I'm in the, I'm giving myself periods of time right now where I have to make certain amount, certain decisions within a very finite timeline. So I can't just think about it forever. Um, I think you and I first connected through YouTube last year because yep. I was doing my AM weekly videos. I ended up having to stop them because I realized and and all like just being very raw in a sense, I was talking about working on a book more than I was working on a book. Right. And I was practicing I was like updating and I was doing all these things. And and I'm not saying I don't want to I still would love to do more video work and everything, but when I do, it's gonna be very intentional with I actually have an update for you, not just I want to have an update. And I'm going to talk about it because I promised myself I'd do a weekly, arbitrary weekly video. And that's where I was last year. I think I put a lot of time into that, which was fun and I loved it, but it also I took up. And when I think about how much time I would put into one video, which you know 100%, um, your videos are freaking amazing. Like it takes up time. It takes even, a lot of time. Even a simple yeah. video can take up a lot of time. And if I would have put that time into actually creating the book and doing everything else, it probably would have been out when I wanted it to be. So I'm having to almost kind of step back a bit so I can be 100% with it right now. So it's a, it's a balance right now because I know in the world of Instagram and the world of everything, like if you disappear, the algorithm is like, peace out, you're done. You know, but then, if, but then 
if you don't have anything to say, who freaking cares? Yeah. So I'm torn right now. So I think you're doing the right thing. Yeah. This is just my two cents. I mean, there's a lot of different ways people approach it. People talk about the algorithm and stuff like that. And yeah. I don't know anything about it. People ask me about it. People ask me if we, and I'm like, I don't, I don't fucking know. Like, yeah. what I believe is that if you can make something that's worth people's time and worth people's energy, the algorithm is not going to matter. I, I can't exactly. remember who gave this example, so I'll give credits in the show notes when I when I figure it out, but it was from someone's book, and they used the, the test subject was the Mona Lisa. The Mona Lisa has a huge following on Instagram. If you like search for the hashtag Mona Lisa, you will find pictures of the Mona Lisa everywhere. Obviously, it's a painting, yeah. and it's a huge presence on Instagram, not because the Mona Lisa does Instagram, <laughs> yeah, true. but because it's an amazing work of art that defined an era and realism and painting. It, it's, the, it's the work behind it. And I think you're learning from your past self in real time and being okay with, cool, like, what am I doing? I'm doing this. It's kind of fun, but is it really serving me right now? Exactly. Is this really pushing me further towards that goal? And it seems like it's really not in a lot of ways. It's holding you back because... That's hours and hours, hours of time yeah. just sitting there that's probably better funneled into the book. And True. if the book fucking kicks ass and yeah. everything goes well with that, like people are going to find you on Instagram. Exactly. You know? I think for me also, I've had a lot of moments in my life, like back in the, like I said, when I was younger, I did music. We had a couple, you know, like I was young. I, I think I put out my first three song EP when I was 13. So I was in studios at 12 making a record or an EP at 15 or 16, making the next one. And like, feel like there could have been a possibility to like break into it, break bigger, didn't work out. I feel like with some other things, it's like, I've had these moments where I'm a little too all over the place sometimes, even though I'm very, very focused on like photography and everything. But I guess the best way to say it is when I look back at my, oh, well, here's a perfect example, guitar. I always wanted to learn the guitar. I never did. And I remember being back in the day, like, if I don't learn the guitar, I'm going to be so frustrated and so pissed off at myself. I never did because, again, like, my craft is photography. And that's something I had to put. Back in the day, I used to work 100-hour weeks all the time because I, I literally had no life in a sense. I didn't know weekends. I didn't know anything. And I, and I relished off the fact that I had nothing. And I think that's one of the reasons why it sucks because I know there's, like, you know, stuff with people say hustle porn and these things like it, you don't want to go too crazy with it. But that was also the reason why I freaking actually was able to make a living as a photographer. As I, when I was younger, I breathed nothing but photography. This book for me right now, where I'm at in my life is something that I know I will be very disappointed in myself if I don't see it through, even if it is self-published or if it's through a publisher, I don't care. I know that there is enough of an interest, um, especially, you know, at, we were at SCA um, at the expo in Seattle this year. I had a handful of people say, oh, are you selling pre-orders right now? Are you doing, you know, like so many people wanted to buy it then, even though I just had the, the prototype. Tons of coffee shops that, oh, we'll put it in a retail. Uh, even, I've even had like vintage shops or whatever, mercantile style shops here. I'd be like, oh, we'll carry it. And I'm like, I never even thought of that. Okay, interesting. Whoa, I never even thought of retail. Um, it would be a failure of myself and nobody else, but myself on a very large level, that would definitely be very a defining moment for me. If I did not see this through and make this happen no matter what. And that also means sometimes, unfortunately getting out of my own way and 2018, I was in my way a bit. And so I can't freaking allow that to happen this year. So for me, this is a very intentional year of, being very honest with myself, I journal a lot. I've journaled for decades and decades. I'm being, 
Um, but a few years back, I started more of like a, my, it's like a kick-ass journal. It's like, it's no more prose. It's no more like, oh, life is great. It's like, freaking get to work, dude. Like, shut up. Like, <laughs> do, it's very. Do what you're supposed to do. Do what you're supposed to do. Oh, no, that's, <laughs> it, I needed that. I needed to be that to myself. And like, I had to yell at myself sometimes and be like, dude, this should be out. There's no reason why it's not out. And I've had interest from big brands to be like, hey, we want to maybe sponsor it. And so it's definitely, it's one of those right now where I'm having to put everything that I can in between being a father of two young children and a husband and still trying to make a living as a commercial photographer, but also really, truly trying to transition into Americana Mondays as more of my thing to get out of my way and make this happen, but also realize that I need some help. And I think one of the things that hold me back right now is I, I met with someone who gave me some really good advice on it. It's like, this isn't the top 10 2018, 2019 coffee shops. Some of these don't even exist anymore. Like a handsome coffee is in here. A couple of the coffee shops are in there. They're all gone. Um, but it doesn't, it's okay that they're in there because that was my journey. That's what, you know, whatever. So I'm trying to have a little bit more story in there, have a little bit other things in there. And that's been holding me back a little bit. And so I just need to basically have dedicated time that I'm working on this and be very open to reaching out for help and asking people to give me critical feedback and be treat this almost like a job in its sense, like hiring myself. Today I'm today you're hired to write for two hours. Tomorrow you're hired to lay out images for two hours. Then like you know, whatever. You know, so there's a lot of work, but I'm one hundred percent committed to making it happen. And uh, yeah, it's uh it's something I'm very passionate about. I have no I feel there's an audience there. But until there, until there's customers that are buying it, I have no idea. But I don't really care. No matter what, I have to see this through for myself. I think, I mean, it looks great. The mock-up looks great. No, thank you. I could see it going in a lot of different places. Yep. I mean, there's been a few coffee shop books in the last coffee coffee table books in the last couple of years, and they're rad because they look great everywhere. Yeah, like it doesn't matter if you're into coffee or not. You you pop it on the shelf. It looks fancy. People want to flip through it. And it's just something neat to have in your home. I never thought about selling it in like a little boutique thing, but I could totally see that. Yeah. There's a place my wife loves to go called Cameron Marks in Santa Cruz. And they have stuff you don't need that looks really pretty. You know, and there's these books in that style on surfing or weird colorful buses or something. Oh, yeah. I mean, coffee culture is kind of exploding in its own special way right now, especially that high-end specialty sector, third wave, whatever you want to call it. Yep. I can't even count the number of shops that I just skated by on the way over here. It's the, the options are insane. It's becoming more and more embedded in our culture, this quote-unquote fancy coffee or whatever, Very whatever true. you want to call it. So. No, it is true, and I never thought about that either. The first time that a shop reached out to me to say, hey, we'd love to carry it in our retail when you have it, I was like, what? Oh, whoa, I never thought about that. It was, you know, again, like I'm limiting myself because I've never published a book before, so I never even thought to reach out to anybody that wasn't in coffee. And for coffee shops to even say, hey, we'll carry it in our retail, you know, it was like, oh, Oh, that's awesome. I never even thought about that either. So it was definitely one of those. I have a lot to learn. I've been trying to research more about book publishing, reaching out to people who have published books. And it's kind of it, the thing that sucks for me is I feel like I, ha- I wish I had a mentor that would kind of be like, okay, do this and this, you know, whatever, like I did with photography. So a lot of this I'm just figuring out of myself by myself right now, um, which is cool because it's a challenge and I love challenges, but it's definitely, it's a freaking big challenge. It's a challenge that's definitely beyond my, beyond my scope right now. Um, 
but I'm cool with that. It's going to freaking happen. So if people want to tune in, is that, do you have a newsletter set up? Like how do people yes. get aware of the book? So there is on AmericanaMondays.com. There is a pre, um, it's not a pre-order. You don't have to pay anything, but it's just basically like be notified when the book is, you know, when the book is ready to be ordered. Um, so you can sign up for that. I have a ton of people that have already signed up for that to be notified when it's available to be ordered. I have a newsletter, um, that I'm trying to get better at sending. I'm, I suck at newsletters because, yeah, it's, but it also is very important to have that so you can say, hey, we're here and I'm working on these things and everything. So, and I, because I have a lot of stuff that I want to work on with Americana Mondays too. And that's the problem right now that I'm, I'm running into is I have all these ideas that I want to do for Americana Mondays, all these features I want to film, all these this, all this, that. And it's like, I'm having to say no to myself a lot right now. I have a lot of other cool ideas too that I think would be, oh, that make a great documentary. That make this or this or that or whatever. And I even had, I took up running a, uh, a couple years ago and I ran in the LA Marathon last year and I've come to love running even though I freaking hated it. But that's why I did it. I actually didn't, after we had our daughter, I needed to have a challenge that I did not want to do so that it would be a challenge that I would have to force myself to do. And I took up running and now I love it. Now I freaking, I'm like, I want to go start doing ultra marathons. But I had somebody reach out to be like, hey, we have this shoe and this and that and and it was just, you know, not paid, but whatever. And I actually had to say no, because I was like, that sounds freaking amazing. I would love to go make a short film with you. I would love to go do all that stuff. But I can't right now, because any moment that I have has to go into this right now. And thankfully, it was a friend of mine. He was cool with it. He's like, I get it, man. But it's like, it sucks to say no to that. But I know the more times I say yes right now to anything else that isn't directly related to this, because I also feel like in a sense with how crazy photography the world of photography is as a commercial photographer the devaluation in a sense because of instagram has been good and bad in, in a lot of ways for photography um i feel like i need to future proof myself and i feel like it's so interesting i knew the moment um that americana mondays was going to be more than what i originally thought it was is when i felt like it was a smarter path to go down to put all of my energy into this than it was into the standard career path that I thought as a photographer. And I felt like I realized one day that this actually had a better possibility of succeeding than me just being the next commercial photographer in LA, the next, next big dude. And that's when I was like, whoa, okay, that's a major mind shift for me. And it took, and it's with, you know, Instagram, social media, I've lost a handful of jobs this year or last year because of not being an influencer or not having a lot of, you know, followers. And even had a magazine the other day that I'd, they, they'd clicked through to my website, they'd reached out, I reached back out to them, said, hey, would love to be considered for a, th uh, you know, a photo shoot for you guys. It was a travel magazine, so it's perfect for Americana Mondays, that kind of vibe. And they said, oh, we don't have anything for you right now, but if you want to start tagging your photos with their hashtag, oh, we'll maybe man. feature it on our website. And it was so interesting. This wasn't some small, small little like boutique firm or small little thing. This is a national publication. And I showed it to another photographer. I'm like, wow, this is the world we're living in. Like, she is a photo editor who commissions photographers to go do things, but she's asking for us to start tagging our photos with their stuff. And it's just a reminder that like the industry that I'm in, that I've been in for over two decades has changed a lot. And a hashtag does not pay my rent and doesn't put food on our table for my children. And I get it. I've had to make a lot of changes and I do not ever want to be that old dude. Cause when I first moved to LA, I started to become that old dude. I started to become that freaking guy that I hated in Arizona. Those dudes, those old dudes that were so like, grumpy and just whatever and I'd be like dude just freaking do better work like be better yeah and I hated that mentality and so I became a little negative back in like 2012 <laughs> and I had to change that and that's why even though photography industry is crazy like I am hopeful right now because I have no other freaking option but to be
I mean, everything's changing so fast in any creative field. It, you know, if you're shooting video or shooting photographs, it, and I, who knows what content consumption is going to look like over the next 10 years. I mean, yeah. I don't think 10 or 20 years ago, everyone is, would have seen what we have now with the switch from physical media yep. to digital streaming media to now in, in-house content creation from people like Netflix and exactly. HBO. Everyone's producing their own stuff. and It's a spiral. But yeah, you owe it to yourself if you're part of that craft to keep up and not be the grumpy old dude, like you said, because whether... It doesn't matter what you think is cool or not. Like if you start to have that attitude, that will a hold you back. Two, it's going to infect your mind, and you're going to walk around with just a negative, shitty attitude all the time. And tell me that's not going to affect everything that you do. I, I, I just believe that it is. Like, yes, I believe it is too. And I and I saw it firsthand. And around right before I started Americana Mondays, it got to the point where I was even like, I don't even know if I'd hire myself right now. I looked at my website one day, and I was like, I don't even know if I'd hire me. Right now, I don't even know in my mindset right now, and I was in the wrong mindset, and I needed. That's when I was like, I need to go do something, and because I was getting jaded, you know, and because I wasn't getting hired, even though I knew, even though it's what I wanted. When it, it, when you're in it, it freaking sucks sometimes, even though you need it. And so for me, it was I needed to not be in that, and so now, even now, I have to be very cognitive of that, that I cannot allow myself to be that way. But I think with, for me, with how much I have because I am somebody who's been doing commercial and editorial photography for over two decades now, I do have an old school mindset, you know, uh, state of mind sometimes. And so I have to continuously try to like remind myself that it's changing faster than I am. And so for me, again, it just, it's so interesting to me and it's so awesome and freaking scary and every, whatever you could think of that I can 100% say it feels like a smarter bet to put all of my emotional, mental, and creative energy into making Americana Mondays a like life of its own and give it a life of its own through a book, through a media platform, or through whatever it is, like, you know, to where I'm doing, even if I'm doing sponsored content, almost like a, like there's been a couple times I remember, I, I remember the first time, I'm, I'm not into shoes much, they're cool, but like I remember I was on a Hypebeast website once to see, and I saw this film that they did, had nothing to do with shoes, it was about this, um, the chef and whatever, and they might have cut two shoes once or so in the photo, the video, but at the end of it, it had the Converse logo. And I remember being like, that's amazing. I would love to do that for Americana Mondays and make a living somehow. And so whatever, I'm rambling now. I'm very sorry. But basically, <laughs> I'm trying to like, I'm trying to find ways. I, I kind of gave myself a goal this year. This would be the sixth year. I started Americana Mondays in July of 2012. My goal this year, even if it's $1, hopefully more than that, I'm not going to lie. I can stop saying not gonna lie. Not I gonna lie. That. I'm not gonna, yeah. Uh, I need to stop saying that. My goal is to m- prove to myself that Americana Mondays can be a viable platform this year, a financially viable platform, even if I literally make $100 off of it this year. Even if somebody like buys a, you know, if I, I'm, I might start a print store online or something like that, you know, you know I don't care what it is. I wanna prove to myself that it can be financially viable. So it almost, in a sense, proves to me. Hopefully that's through the book or any other way. Because I do feel like as, I call myself a photographer, people call themselves content creators, I'm a freaking photographer, it's what I am, it's who I am, it's everything, I, I, that's what I am. But I do create content. But I have to make sure to do everything I can to future-proof myself and go in the traditional route, which I'm not even going anymore, but even in the remote way, I do feel like is a gamble and I've always been, everything about freelance is a gamble, but it's, it's one that almost doesn't make as much sense right now. 
from me than to be over here with Americana Mondays and creating work that I'm passionate about, that I love, and that hopefully can find an audience that will eventually be able to support me as well. Who freaking knows that that's going to happen, man? But I have to give it a shot. And this book, I hope, will be something that will open up a lot more doors for me, both in and outside of the board of coffee. Um, and if I don't let that happen or give that its life, its opportunity, man, yeah, I'll be that old dude who's pissed off. Let's just put it that way. Dude, thank you so much. I think we came to talk about coffee and a book and your journey, and you maybe unknowingly broke down like 35 different business strategies. If you listen to this all the way through, <laughs> everybody out there, you'll probably pick up some other things. So one more time, where can people find you if they need to find you? Uh, so for Americana Mondays, everything is Americana Mondays. AmericanaMondays.com. Instagram is Americana Mondays. Uh, for my commercial, more personal stuff, uh, Jeff, well, for my commercial work, JeffNewton.com. That has all my commercial client work and everything on there. And then I also have a Jeff Newton um, Instagram account. So both one or the other. Um, so yeah, that's where you can find me. All right, man. Thanks for, thanks for coming on, and we'll be looking forward to the book. Yes, thank you, man. I so appreciate it, man. Hell yeah. The Cat and Cloud Coffee Podcast is brought to you by Wilbur Curtis. They make coffee brewers. Ever heard of them? If you haven't, you should. They're an awesome family-owned company. They're here in California. They power their facility with solar power, which I hear that's like a new hot thing that progressive people do. The best thing about Curtis, in my humble opinion, is the turnaround time on the brewers. They have a 24-hour turnaround. It's phenomenal. If you've ever ordered a brewer for a wholesale client from someone else and waited and waited and waited for it to come in, you know how frustrating that is. So being able to get the brewer next day like that is absolutely amazing. Shout out to you, Wilbur Curtis. Their customer service is phenomenal. And they just care. They care about you. They care about me. And I care about them. And that's why Cat Cloud Podcast is brought to you by Wilbur Curtis. I'll be like, this is Jeff Newton. Yeah. <laughs>